Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is our low effort, low quality podcast. I'm Liz Brunig. This is my husband, Matt. Hi, everyone. Uh, this week, we have a lot to cover. We're getting ready to uh, take Finland and Norway. The Brunigs take the Nordics. That's true. If you are in Finland, in Helsinki in particular, on September 9th and some other dates, I'm going to be uh, doing some panels and stuff. Uh, so, you know, send me an email, I guess, and I'll, I'll give you the uh, info. If you're a if you're a listener, if you're a you know, what do we call the fans? The fans, you know, um you know, if you're a brewhead, you know, um uh you can email us and uh, if you're in uh, Norway or Finland, if you're in Oslo or Helsinki, uh we'd be very excited to meet you and hang out. Yeah, yeah, I suppose you don't have to come watch me present. We could also just... Yeah, that's what he meant. He doesn't actually expect you to come to his panels. Catch a meal. No, I, I do yeah. think you should come. I think no, it's going to be interesting. Uh, one of them is being couched as a debate, where I'm going to debate some uh, apparently Finnish liberals. In, in Swedish? The, in, the, uh, in the traditional sense of the word, um, about whether the Nordic model is good or not. <laughs> So and Swedish, they're Lidl Franca. Or is that what you're gonna use? Uh, no, I believe it's gonna be in English. Oh. So I have an advantage right off the bat, yeah, just linguistically. Say, it's really tilted in yeah. your favor. Are you gonna spread? I am gonna bring some graphs. I was told that there's a projection uh, possibility, so I'm gonna bring some of my graphs. And so you're gonna Nord explain to a bunch of Finns. Well, just going to basically say that this model is better than the uh, more liberal American model, because apparently in these countries, there are these groups of people who are like, we need to be more like the U.S. <laughs> no, definitely. <laughs> uh, it seems like a real mistake. I mean, you know, yeah. maybe say we should be more like the Swiss or something. Then you kind of get, I don't know, uh, you know, everyone has health care, but it's also more liberal or something like, but don't don't go all the way U.S. Never, never go all the way U.S. You never go full U.S. No. Uh, well, if you need me to pinch it, I know a lot about liberalism. I'm going to stick to the, you know, math and stuff. But you can really just go right for the meta. I was told by some of my, uh, a couple of my friends in, uh, Finland that the country in the, in the discourse there is, they're very impressed by numbers and that sort of thing. Um, it's a whole country of maths. So uh, it's really well suited, I think for my style. And a nation of maths. So, uh, the Brunig household has also been looking into the uh, crisis in the Catholic Church. That's true. Uh, Liz has been doing some shoe leather reporting, some intrepid reporting on it. Uh, but as as true committed brewheads know, I can't drive because I have epilepsy. So when I need to go places, uh, my options uh, are our public transit, Uber, or Bruber, which is where I force Matt to drive me places. So when, uh, when I when I caught a break on a Monday evening and figured out where a location was that I needed to be, uh, I asked Matt to drive me, and we put Jane in her car seat, and it was a whole family trip. That's true. It was probably within walking distance no if way. you wanted to to hoof it a little bit. It but was the middle of the night. It was dark, and you know. I don't know. Mosquitoes. 
you know, I understand. I understand the decision that was made. And Thank I you. stand behind it. I appreciate it. Uh, you filmed. I didn't even know that. You had my back the whole time. You told me afterward that you filmed. I had no idea you were doing oh, that. Oh, you know, I figured if something was going to happen, I should get it on tape. Nothing did happen, but I guess Nothing the happened. tape still was helpful, but, incidentally. Uh, allegations were made after the fact that I had hung around for 30 minutes and been super aggressive. So it was good to have the tape showing that I just stood there weirdly. Yeah, it was only five minutes. And yeah, there was nothing aggressive about it. It was just a f- bit of knocking. And and then I showed my ID. Yeah. And other things. That and then uh, you, they're, oh, we don't want to talk. And you're like, oh, let me r- give you my card. And then you left. That was basically it. Yeah, they never even opened the door. Right. So, uh, so there was that. Uh, I'm doing the best I can to try to get to the... Uh, get some clarity we've also on, been on this. We've also been collecting their garbage when they put it out. No, we haven't done... Uh, That's legal, though. I learned in law school. Not a violation of anything, apparently, to do that. Well, then why haven't we been doing it? I don't know. It's gross. Yeah, but I mean, nothing... It's not grosser than what we do as parents. No expectation of privacy. That was the rule. Yeah. Because people are like, if this is a violation of my privacy. And they're like, no, you're throwing it away. Yeah, if you put I it on I actually don't curb. agree with that decision. That seems weird to me, but... That's how they went. But with if it. that's how it goes, you know, you put it on the curb. Yeah, but that's how you get rid of garbage. I mean, it, that's just sort of weird. Like, I've got to keep everything in my house or someone yeah. can look through it. Or There's take no it directly to the dump. Take or it. Something. So now I got to go to the dump every day. You know, you know or once myself. a week or something. It's a goofy. It was a goofy decision, mainly, I think, just to it's goofy. bolster law enforcement's ability to get get dirt on you. So. But, you know, it is what it is. You got to, you know, the, the rules are what the rules are. So you take advantage of them. That's true. You got to take your breaks where you can get them, guys. I also want you to know that uh, if anyone has anonymous tips, I will soon have uh, Signal, WhatsApp, Perio, and a bunch of other encrypted shit Matt doesn't believe is actually safe. Mm-hmm. Lava bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Proton mail. Okay. PGP keys. Yep. I'll have that as well. You can also just send me an MD5 hash of it, and okay. I'll use the rainbow tables to... Okay, you can't do that. I'll <laughs> use the rainbow tables to reverse engineer the message. That, uh, sounds, like, um, that sounds like a, like a sci-fi fantasy. I don't think that would work, actually. The rainbow tables. Uh, no, it's a real thing, the rainbow tables. Um, uh, you can also just uh, put stuff in the mail. And mail it to my office. If you just uh, mail it to the Washington Post office and put my name on the envelope, it'll come to me. You can also mail me uh, like $300 gift cards to Shake Shack. If you wanted to do that, you could do that. I'm just saying. That's true. That's something you could do. I'm not available by mail. You'll have to email me. Or, you know, catch me. Catch me uh, roaming around the city. That's happened to you. People have caught you. I have had one person stop me on the street and say, are you Matt Brunig? Yes, I am. And then he told me this story about how um, Nassim Tlaib had written um, something about the color blue. Oh, heavens. And that he had disproven Nassim Tlaib's theory of color. Yeah. And that he went up to see Nassim in person and present to him that Nassim was wrong about this and that Nassim at first was like, no, no, my theory of color is right. And it, but then eventually it did persuade him and Nassim was like, my bad, I, I made a mistake. 
my theory of color is not right. So we're still doing that old like yeah. David Human type stuff, I guess, in some circles. This sounds like an extremely weird dream someone had. It happened, though. I was impressed by the guy. He was an impressive guy, frankly. Um, and, you know, if he owned Nassim Tlaib, then more power more to power him. More power to him. Yeah, I can't, I can't question that. Those uh, are, that's my fan base, are people trying to disprove Nassim Tlaib's theory of color. You know, so. I would argue that your fan base is just anyone who believes in quixotic owning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's know? like this guy's wrong and I'm gonna I'm gonna do whatever it takes. Yeah. To make to he was like I enrolled in his class. Booking a five hundred dollar plane ticket <laughs> and spending two thousand dollars to audit a course. So it is very much it's very much like yeah, like like that that because that's like the starting point of my own uh career such as it is, is like, you know what? A lot of these big name discourse people, they say things that aren't even correct. No. I, I should go correct them. And 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 you know and what? People would love it if I just showed up and was like, "I'll you just go on to mattbrewing.com. I'll go in the discourse, say this wrong. is not true, and then that'll be that, and it'll be great." I've never seen shit this wrong, and I'll it works yeah. somehow. It actually did work after like five years of just being like wrong, 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 wrong. People are like, "Wow, this guy makes some points." Yeah, I would say that it it's had its ups and downs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's been frictive at points. It's um, not a good. Yeah, it's not a good. Uh, you can build a niche that way, but you can't. You can't win the hearts and minds. <laughs> no, <so. laughs> no, no, you. Uh, you know, but that, but you do gain a certain amount of respect. Um, you. Uh, you're just not going to tolerate people being wrong online. I'm the only one who takes the discourse seriously. You're the only one who cares about the That's discourse. That's really the truth of it. As much as I laugh about the discourse, I'm the only one who's like, you know, we got to clean this discourse up, guys. Get that fact out of here. That's not a correct fact. Oh, uh, at the Federalist, the uh, uh, Giancarlo Sopo. Oh, no. The ongoing saga. <laughs> he wrote a piece, remember, like three weeks ago that was like the Scandinavian socialist myth. They only own 10 percent or rather the governments there only own 10 percent of the wealth. I do and then recall. he had this whole thing like the whole there were like 100 claims that were derivative of that claim, basically. Yeah. Like the whole piece was like, look at all these funny things I can do if we assume they only own 10% of the wealth. Yeah. But he'd gotten the, the, the calculation wrong. He'd used the wrong um, data series to do it. And then I corrected him and I was like, no, it's actually 33%. That's a lot. It's like one in $3 of wealth there is owned by the government. And, and then he wrote another piece that was like, even under this corrected oh, data. No. <laughs> So, you know, but I cleaned up the discourse a little bit. I got that cleaned up, you know, and so uh, we can do more public reason. Habermas is, is shining, uh, you know, smiling down on me from heaven. If he's dead, I actually don't know if he is I or isn't. I'm not sure he's dead. He's very old if he's not dead. So, I yeah. mean, basically dead. Well, I mean, shit. I don't know. I mean, uh, let's hope he's hanging in there. And, uh, uh, yeah, what else is in the news? Uh, I've been very distracted this week, so yeah, I haven't been so able I. to read the news. I've been making the news. <laughs> That's true. I've, How I, about I, that? I've made How some news that? as well. So yeah, how's uh, how's your uh, sovereign wealth fund release? Well, it's a social wealth fund. You know okay. that. Sorry, um, sorry, sorry. You know. So, um, is there a difference? Well, a sovereign oh God, wealth I'm sorry fund. Sorry, I asked. 
<laughs> Never mind. It's a social wealth fund. Okay. So uh, how's the how's the big rollout going? It's good. You know, uh, Matt Iglesias wrote a piece about yeah. it. Uh, David Dan wrote a piece about it at Huffington Post. Rachel Cohen at The Intercept. Uh, Peter Gowan at Jacobin. I think I'm going to eventually have something in dissent about it. Um, you know, and there might be some follow-ons. Oh, I'm, I'm going to be on the Jacobin podcast called The Dig. The Dig. With Dan Denver. That's going to come out, and that's going to be about this. And I'm going to be on The Current Affairs podcast also talking about this um so you know you have lots of different ways to consume it and get synopses of it and you know hopefully they don't distort it too much and people came for those copies you sold huh uh yeah we sold uh, like 230 of those they're not signed actually um you know i'm too busy to be signing things i don't know Um, that's yeah, way more than I thought, uh, actually. I, th- I I was hesitant to order more than 25 or 50 from the printer because I was like, no way, no way. Who's going to buy this? But they, they did buy it, so that's good. So there you go. So there you go. That's the so that's the. We'll have more on the Social Wealth Fund later. I kind of want to wait and let some of the critiques percolate a little bit because... The only real critique that I've seen so far was clearly written in uh, 30 minutes and there were some issues. I feel like they're going to be stronger arguments coming and I want to wait for the stronger ones rather than just, I don't know, dunk on ones that were done kind of off the cuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. It goes to my point about the only real real believer in the discourse. You want to fight your strongest opponent. Yes, and the uh, opponent at their strongest um, time. Yeah. Uh, You know, if I were given 15 minutes to respond to something, you know, uh, I don't know how how well I would do at it. I mean, I used to do okay at it in competitive debate, but that's a whole different game. Yeah. You did really good at it in competitive debate, I think. Yeah, but it's so gamey where it's like, oh, can I come up with a thing that will really stick you? As opposed to in the discourse, you not only got to stick them, but you got to make a point that is like, you know, (laughs) reasonable and like, like not just like, I don't know, game playing. And it coheres with everything else you want to argue. Yeah, yeah. It's got to fit in my general position, my general ideas and opinions and, you know, that sort of stuff. So so. I was wandering around the discourse and uh, I had an interesting tweet tweeted at me. A guy said, uh, what percentage of E. Brunig uh, could even explain how to get past uh, some kind of, uh, I don't even remember, Oh, it was something about like the, oh, it was the, um, I don't know if he described it as the economic calculation problem. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. Or there's another name for it that people use sometimes. Um, But that's the main one I'm familiar with. Well, yeah, I mean, right off the bat, percentage wise, it's only the brain really that can explain things. So soul as well. What is the brain as a percent of, of your mass? You know, I don't know. 10% 10% maybe you for you. Really? Oh, bring 10 pounds, you think? 10, 12 pounds? That's about 10% of, you know. Thank That's you. That's just my guess. I, I don't mean, really I don't know. know that, but I, I'll appreciate it. I'll take that. 
Is that okay? <laughs> That's okay. I, I like that. Th- I think that actually brains are about eight pounds so that your estimating of my brain at 12 pounds is estimating me at extra big brain tonight. I appreciate uh, yeah, that. it might vary with body size as well. But also I might have an extra big brain. It's possible. I mean, your head's not especially big. So isn't that probably is an indicator. My brain could take up more of my head than most brains take up. Yeah, your head. skull could be thin. Yeah. Or maybe there's less, you know, water or whatever it sits <laughs> in. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> it's just kind of dry in there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that's, uh, I don't know, but that strikes me as right. Let's go with that. And uh, so that's the preliminary answer to that question. But uh, what is, uh, Matt, uh, what is the economic calculation problem? Yeah, so this set off a general yeah. thing that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, which is this idea of, of market socialism. And I am a proponent of market socialism, not because I particularly care about markets per se, but because the, it seems to work and like it's coherent and I can like understand how the system is going to operate, whereas in others I'm a little hazy. Um But, you know, over the years, I've read, oh, my God, have I read, uh, you know, nearly everything I can get my hand on from people who are genuinely committed to, like, trying to describe, like, the details of socialism. Um, Not just, like, rhetorical flourishes, but actually, like, here's how it's going to work, okay? So, we're going to have this company, and then the company, blah, blah, blah. And and I have tended after uh, surveying the uh, the field <laughs> towards this as uh, towards the market socialist tendency as being the most uh, credible and, and mm-hmm. well, well supported of the group. Um, but so so what is market socialism then? Um, market socialism is the idea that we're going to have a socialist system, meaning that capital or wealth or the means of production whatever you want to call it that's going to be socially owned or collectively owned in some way but we're still going to basically maintain our system we have where you you produce products and people use cash to buy them Um, that's really the gist of it Um, and the idea of market socialism has been around for a long time. In fact, it precedes Karl Marx because the first socialists were not the first, but some of the first were these Ricardian socialists, which were Ricardian as David Ricardo. They they were into markets, but they were also into collective ownership of capital and that sort of thing. Um, so it's it's a long-standing idea, but it but it also really picked up in the last century. And it really picked up in response to this question that you were posed on Twitter by this uh, uh, aggressive libertarian graduate student. Yeah. And that is that there was this debate, you know, in the, they called it, I guess it was called the economic calculation debate. I don't remember all the specific terms, but basically you had the socialists who at the time were really into this central planning idea. You know, kind of think of the Soviet Union, though even that is wasn't really like fully centrally planned um, where it's like, oh, well, we'll just have the government and there won't be prices, but we'll just kind of produce things and then just sort of dole them out. And the sort of uh, critique of that was that, well, wait a minute, how are you going to figure out what to produce 
if you don't have people buying and selling things? Yeah. How are you going to figure out where to allocate resources if you don't have people buying and selling things? Right. So like you could think about a problem of being like, okay, let's say you have this central planning entity mm-hmm. and you get this new shipment in from the forest. Hey, we've just cut down a hundred trees. Here's, here's some wood. Yeah. And you're like, okay, what the hell, what do I do with this wood? Like, well, you could make cabinets. Yeah. You could make tables. You could make paper. There's all sorts of things you could do. So how do I know which to do? I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. You know, and you could kind of guess and maybe Twitter you've pole. got a sense of it. But like the market folks were like, look, the best way to know is to kind of have people buy and sell because, you know, those send signals. If a lot of people are like, "Ooh, I want to buy a table, then you're like, oh, looks like people want tables. Let's let's take that shipment of wood and put it into the table factory. Okay. Um, and so the basic point is that markets create information mm-hmm. and you need information to decide what to do. True. And so at the time, and I think for a long time, for a lot of people who, who haven't really studied, I don't know, these sort of mass of socialist tendencies thought like, oh, that defeats socialism. But it doesn't defeat socialism because the core of socialism is the idea of collective ownership of capital, not the idea that you can't have people buying and selling things. Right. Markets are not incompatible with socialism. Right. Not inherently. Not inherently capitalist. Right. You might also not like markets for some other set of reasons. Yeah. And it's also the case that you can have a non-socialist economy that has no markets. Right. A subsistence farmer is not engaged in what we would normally think of as a socialist thing unless they're on a big collective farm. Right. right? But if it's just like, I'm just one guy and I have my plot, it's, that's not really socialistic, but I'm also not selling anything. Right. I'm not selling my labor. I'm not selling my food. I'm the land I have is not really bought and sold. There's it's, there's no market there. Different thing altogether. Yeah. And so markets are neither part of, I don't know, capitalism uh, inherently and neither are part of socialism inherently. They're just, a, to me, an allocation mechanism. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. So that is the solution <laughs> to this problem as I see it is to say, well, okay, you make a point. We do need um, informational mechanisms to figure out how to allocate um, production and how to uh, distribute the output, um, but we can just maintain those. And the social wealth fund, which we were talking about earlier, is a is a one of the classic approaches to doing that because the way the social wealth fund works is you say, well, we can just own the equity of all these companies. We can still kind of have them compete and sell products. That preserves the informational inputs that the market provides. But the capital is socially owned. Yeah. Best of both worlds. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there you go. <laughs> we have considered this problem. That is, it is this problem that motivates the approaches that we take um, to how to do a real, like, socialist design. 
Um, and I should say, social wealth funds are not the only way to do this. Co-ops are another classical. Love me some co-ops. Are another classical approach because how does a co-op work? Well, you have all the workers in the business; they own the company. So, in that sense, the means of production are collectively owned inside each company. Um, but they nevertheless sell their products out into a market. So it's socialists, but there's markets. Solution. Sounds pretty good to me. Yes. To and be and honest. And you, you also had an example. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so right off the bat, I would say, you know, the point is, hey, you can have a market socialist system. But then there are, of course, some socialists who are like, I don't like markets. They just like they don't like markets separately. Yeah. You know, markets are alienating markets. Uh, do all sorts of things. Money is bad, et cetera, et cetera, right? Currency is bad. And, you know, we need decommodification. We need de-alienation, and markets don't provide that, et cetera. And I'm not, like, totally, uh, like, I get where they're coming from with that. I don't really buy it, but, like, I get it. So I have, over time, tried to figure out, how do I explain to someone who says this? How do I try to get them to believe as I believe? And as I believe it, yeah. I don't really care. Like, <laughs> like it, the fact that when I need to go get milk, I have to go, like, swipe a card. It really doesn't, it doesn't grind my gears that much. It really yeah. doesn't. The fact that I have, like, a number in an account and that sort of helps balance, you know, what I can take out of the pot um, consumption-wise, eh, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. But... If you don't believe that, how can you be made to believe that that's yeah. fine? And so this is the example that I, I saw a few years ago when I was just reading the news as I do. This is the best idea you've ever had for a narrative podcast. Right. It's a real, it's yeah. It's a real good deal. Like it's a real could, narrative. You it's could really This American Life it. I think there probably have been podcasts but about this, frankly. we're low effort and low quality. But <laughs> yes. if we could, so just please imagine some good music, um, Yes. You know, a little light tones. Yeah. Imagine I'm like also talking to some people and interviewing people. Yeah. And it's like, as opposed to just like, here's how it works. Yeah. And <laughs> at first they're talking about how screwed up everything was before they implemented the new system. Yeah. And then they're talking about how good it was. All after. right. All right. So okay. it's very vague at this point. Oh. I'm talking about the charity Feeding America. Yeah. Okay. Feeding America has been around for a long time. As far as I understand, it's the biggest food charity in the country. And also, as far as I understand, the way that they work is, you know, you got food banks across the country, of course, and, you know, people donate cans and stuff to them. But these guys, they go for the big, the big fish. Mm -hmm. So they like go to Jif and say, hey, Jif, why don't you give us 30 pallets of peanut butter? And Jif's like, all right. And then they ship them 30 pallets of peanut butter. And, you know, that's kind of the thing. So you, uh, you get the big food shipments directly from the big food producers. The food producers, I don't know, get some sort of charitable deduction or something. You know, it's, it's good. But once they get the food, they have a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Because Feeding America does not, as far as I understand, run any food banks mm -hmm. of their own. Instead, they have an affiliate network of mm -hmm. food banks. So, like, a lot of, if not m all, the food banks in the country are associated with Feeding America. So you think hundreds, maybe thousands of different food banks set up across the country are, you know, coordinating with Feeding America. Mm -hmm. And Feeding America, once they get their 30 pallets of Jif peanut butter, have to decide where which food banks get the peanut butter. Right. Or which food banks get 
the cereal. So or let's go to Omaha, San Francisco, Dallas. Who knows? Who knows? Right. I mean, how do we decide? Alaska, whatever. Yeah. And and there are there are a lot of challenges in yeah. deciding. Not just because you got to figure out, you know, I don't know, lots of questions about like, are they low on food? But also, what do they need? Yeah, you like know? maybe uh, you know, there's an immigrant population that has certain needs in a certain area, or a certain place has more kids, or right, or maybe yeah. this food bank they have a local donor who yeah. gives them a lot of stuff. So they're covered on peanut butter, but they don't have any jelly. Yeah, like I think um, one of the examples was Idaho. We don't need potatoes yeah we, they just grow everywhere <laughs> the farmers just wild just give us potatoes so we don't need feeding america to ship us potatoes we have more than we need already okay so that's the challenge and like back in the day you know they sort of did it you know in a in a in a, the way we sort of imagine soviet style distribution mm -hmm. where they're kind of just like hey uh bob in chicago you you want some peanut butter yeah yeah all right i'll get a truck out to you and it's it's very ad hoc and it's it's not it doesn't work very well. Yeah. People are getting stuff they don't need. Other people are not getting the stuff they do need. Yeah. It's hard to figure out what food banks are low it's on taking food. shots in what, the dark, basically. Yeah. And like, you know, if you're a food bank, there's some strategy where you might be like, well, I don't want to say I don't need it because what if then, you know, in the future they don't want to give me food because they think I'm stocked up or maybe I should just take what I can get. Yeah. And yeah. Like, it's all sorts of problems. So what they do to fix this problem mm -hmm. is they say, okay, we're going to give each food bank a set of points, which you could think of as money, but it's sort of fake money in Currency. their system. Yeah. And the points, as far as I understand, were based on the number of people they served. So if you serve a thousand people at your food bank, then you get a thousand points or maybe whatever, some multiple of that. And every day... Mm -hmm. Once a day, they take all of the food that they have coming in from their food donors and they put it up on an internal website. Yeah. And there is a sealed bid auction where every food bank can put in one bid and say, oh, I'd like 35. I'll do 35 points for that. Yeah. And whoever bids the most gets it. And the idea there, as you can imagine, is, well, now we kind of have a market. Yeah. They, we, by giving points scaled based on how many people go to each food bank, we therefore distribute out according to need. And by having them bid, we get them to signal what they want and what they don't want. Yeah. And what they need the most and what they don't need the most of. And you can carry points over. So if you're like, oh, I'm pretty good on food, well, just hold off. You'll get some more points in your bank account. Well, will start filling up and you can use them later. Yeah. And apparently it was a huge success. Their allocation, their distribution thing got way better. Um, and that to me is like, that's the case for market socialism in a nutshell because no one's making a profit in this system. No one owns capital in the system that they have in this Feeding America system. It's just they kind of create a little game with points and auctions, that game generates information that helps them figure out where the food should go. Yeah. And like, when you hear it described like that, to me, I'm like, what is the problem? <laughs> like, I, I've heard all the things you've said about alienation and decommodification and these very long words and that sort of thing, but like, are you really looking at Feeding America and being like, man, if, if only they got rid of those points and auctions? 
if only we went back to where he called up Bob in Chicago and sort of tried to figure out what he wanted and then also called 5,000 other people. <laughs> like, what is it, the thing that's gone? Freedoms. It's the freedoms. It's freedoms. It's, you know, it's I mean, because to me, I look at it and I'm like, well, look, any system is going to require some informational yeah. exchange. And before, the way they tried to get information was a kind of survey where you would, like, go out and talk to people and, yeah. like, try to figure out. But this is also a kind of survey. That's true. That's true. Right? So it's just like... You're it's surveying just an, with the points. Yeah, it's just another way of people to get people to say, this is what I want. Yeah. Right? Or you can imagine, because, like, in some of the, like, I don't know, like, these sort of uh, um, more anarchist-inflected strategies for how you're going to implement it, they have these things where they're like, we have these big, massive assemblies where people sit down and they say, this is what I want. And, like, you literally, like, have to say a year in advance, like, how much toilet paper, how many Snicker bars you want. Yeah. Um, I could give you Snicker bars. I definitely want a thousand. <laughs> I mean, I could do it for some commodities. I don't know about some like the others because I don't have a good sense of how much I, you know, consume. But, but you look at it and you're like, well, what is the point of this meeting? The point of this meeting is to get all the human beings in the area to deliver information, which you are then going to record, I assume, in some kind of spreadsheet, right? Yeah. Well, this is just another way of populating that same spreadsheet. So there you go. Except instead of having a meeting where people talk, they just kind of send you in what they want with points and auctions and whatever. Um, so, so yeah, that's my pitch generally. I think it's good. We should actually, you know, one day if we actually ever do make a podcast, we should talk to the feeding America people. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, you put some, some, yeah, like you said, some music and like that. Yeah. Talk to the people who did it or whatever. Um, but, but Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's the case. You can own the means of production like they do. You can kind of have a system even where there's not profit or anything like that. But you want to create this little game where that forces people to tell you what they really want. Yeah. And and then you can use that information to give them what they want. And that's great. It's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's what we're trying it's to an do. an elegant solution. And, you know. that's uh, So is there a distinction between market socialism and democratic socialism? No, no. I, I mean, you know, Rawls uses the term liberal or democratic socialism, and he clearly has in mind a kind of market socialist system. Yeah. Um, democratic socialism is, I mean, that's a contested term, obviously, but generally, and you look at Michael Harrington and, you know, the people that were instrumental to it in the United States, it was an emphasis on using a liberal democratic state where you like vote for Congress and president and that sort of thing right, right, to, right. to incrementally reform the system towards a socialist order. It doesn't yeah. take any particular stance about whether there will be markets in in the socialist future or not. It, it's more of a, a question of how do you do the change, not what the change will be, you know. Emphasizing, uh, you know, an aversion to the totalitarian authoritarian characteristics of right, um, right. violent revolution. It's not state socialism, which is right. another Rawlsian term. It's it's democratic socialism. Um, so that's the basic gist of it. Um, and yeah, and like I said, I mean, I'm not like attuned to it per se, but I, I, you know, you look at something like Feeding America or you just kind of think about it conceptually and you're like, this seems like it's going to work better than, I don't know, ad hoc attempts to like put 
put up free stores and stuff like that. In fact, before the podcast started, I tweeted out uh, there was this sort of conventional communist fellow mm-hmm. um, who wrote a book called ABCs of Communism. Mm-hmm. He's got a really complicated name um, that I'm not going to try to pronounce, but okay. he writes about like what is what is it going to look like? What's this communist society mm-hmm. going to look like? And he's like, well, in the communist mode of production, you're not producing for the market. You're producing for the needs of each community. So each individual does not produce for himself mm-hmm. nor for the market, but for the whole gigantic association for all. That's the mm. phrase he uses. Mm. And he basically says, people are just going to kind of produce stuff and then we're going to put them in these free stores where you can j- kind of just go and be like, oh, I want a Snicker bar and you just grab it. God, please um, and thank you. And then he says, but wait a minute. Someone might ask, quote, will not some people take a great deal more goods than they require and leave very little for others? That's me. Uh, what the Snickers. advantage then will accrue from this system of division of wealth? And he goes, the answer to this question of won't people just take more than they need from these free stores is that at first, for a period of, say, 20 or 30 years, it will be necessary to have various rules governing distribution. Okay, yeah. For example, certain products will be assigned to those who can show a corresponding entry in their labor book or labor card. So... Don't call it wages. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. But you will have to show uh, that you have a mark in your labor book in order to uh, don't call it buying uh, to get the thing from the free store. But you have to um, have worked. Yes. That's for the first 20 or 30 years. And eventually people will uh, have acculturated to communism and then we can get rid of even that, he says. Mm-hmm. But but I do think it's interesting that he's saying in yeah, the transitionary yeah. period, yeah. you need a market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where you need you some controls. Yeah. yeah. So... And that's the ABCs of communism. That's supposed to be like the real deep, the deep stuff. That's a deep cut. Yeah. Well, I endorse it. I think it sounds good. Yeah, it's easy to. I mean, what could be easier than just being like, hey, let's just buy the companies and yeah. just otherwise like keep it more or less, you know, familiar. You're still going to go to the store. Yeah. You're still going to go, you know, swipe your card. But instead of a millionaire class owning everything, we're all going to own it. And then we can kind of do what we want with it and make it better and that sort of thing, you know. I think at this point, 100% of me could explain how to get past the economic calculation problem. Yeah, I think so. And 100% of our listeners yeah, hopefully after this, I don't know how rambling that was. It, it always no, comes off. It was off good. No, 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 it was, it was fine. It always comes off more rambling in my head than than when I go and listen back. I'm like, I wow, that's that's way more lucid than yeah, it. Yeah, you're very felt. succinct, actually, uh, with your explanations. Well, that's good. Yeah. All right, so that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> um, what else have we got? We're at minute forty. We could just give them a forty-minute podcast. We could just I give suppose. them a forty-minute pod. Uh, I've been uh, I've been reporting, folks. I've been uh, uh, I've been digging deep. Um, uh, there will be things forthcoming. Uh, my big projects coming out in September. Just yeah, two weeks from now, basically. A couple weeks. Uh, I'll be able to share with you uh, this big thing I've been working on for a while. I'm excited about that. Three years. Three years, Three years. in the work. Imagine that. Three years of work, and my uh, Matt supported me the whole time. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't tell you to stop. No, <laughs> doing no, it. you were very supportive. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then in the meantime, I'm, uh, I'm taking tips. I'm following leads. Yeah. I'm, uh, on the Catholic church stuff. I'm trying to get some clarity on this. My feeling, uh, is that this, uh, you know, people are really, it's really tearing them apart. People are really crushed. Um, these latest round of allegations is just really, really been rough on people. And I've received a lot of mail and a lot of email and, um, you know, people are really hurting and they feel like the hierarchy is not taking it seriously. And I have to agree. I think the hierarchy is, uh, kind of hiding under the bed and hoping that, that they can weather it and it'll pass. They're treating it like a PR crisis, uh, not a serious problem. And, um, and so we're just gonna have to get through it together. The lady, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to do it ourselves. And, uh, so that's what I'm working on. And, um, you know, Catholic, Catholic Ru, Runig cast listeners, uh, we're going to get through this. It'll we're be gonna, all right. We're going to clear it up. We're going to get some truth. We're going to... Uh, Time heals everything. Well, jail heals people who commit crimes. I don't want to commit to that position. No, jail uh, doesn't really it doesn't heal, heal them. But, but, I, but I, I'm, I'm pretty committed to the 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 fact that there should be some serious punishments for the people who they have should have to go to a Norwegian prison. I feel like I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't. I don't think American prisons are good places. Um, but you know, you. I mean, I'm so angry at the hierarchy who've perpetrated this. That you know, you feel just because of the um, the angry emotion, you feel inclined to say like, no, send them to you know, Angola. And let them just bake in the heat down there. And That's that retributive I know, impulse. I know. It's you got to fight that. I got to fight it. It's not good. Uh, but uh, but I'm going to be honest with you, folks. That's where I am right now. Uh, and uh, and that's the energy with which I am spending all day, every day, hunting down leads and uh, folks to talk to and uh, trying to get you good, clear information on the record um, as so we can, uh, we can get some finality and some clarity on this. And... Uh, and I think, uh, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. And democracy dies in darkness. And it does. And so we're going to, I don't really know how those, uh, I don't think the church is going to become a democracy. So I'm not really sure how those two go together. Well but it's I sort of a democracy because they vote for the Pope. It ha well, it has democratic elements, that's for sure. But I mean, I wouldn't. And you were telling me they could vote for anyone for the Pope. So theoretically, I'm eligible for Pope. Well, I, I mean, yeah, theoretically. Um, well, we should start a campaign. No, I mean, I it always it starts campaign. somewhere. I don't it starts think you somewhere. can campaign, and I'm not sure that you would. I will clean house, I, man. That's true, though. The Vatican will be a social democratic paradise. Well, I mean, the but domestic Vatican and policy. And I'll take care of the personnel issues they keep having. That's you know. the real issue. Is um, it's not hard. Uh, we there's no the rapes not allowed. I mean, they they just there needs to be a big sign in every Catholic church, school. Uh, orphanage and other institution that just says, you know, no raping, guys. Remember, no rape, no rape, none, not of adults, not of children, uh, none, zero is allowed. And if, if someone is committing those crimes, uh, the response is not to um, report it to uh, your local bishop, it, you report it to the police. And uh, you don't tell victims to shut up about it and, and try not to uh, rock the boat. You uh, support them and you 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 try to get them justice. 
that's uh, that's actually what this religion demands. Um, so I mean, I'm just I'm just I'm mad at this point. Uh, but I'm doing I'm doing what I can as a journalist, which you know, incidentally, is what Pope Francis asked us to do. He told journalists, you know, really dig in on this, and um, so that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. We need that guy from the Penn State statue. That guy knows what's up. He, I think. Did he's, we tell this story on this we, podcast? We before? did. We did. And unfortunately, I think he's passed on. Yeah. He was a professor. He was well. He was a math tutor. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> the math teacher. There was this guy. I mean, I don't know. Probably we have a lot of people who haven't listened to that episode. Yeah. Who? He was a beautiful spirit. Yeah. Who was at Penn State when? Uh, Sandusky and Joe Paterno and all that child raping stuff happened. And um, in the aftermath of it, um, you know, Joe Paterno was implicated as having knowledge and not doing something about it. And so he went out basically right when this thing hit and stood by the Joe Paterno statue uh, with a little sign that he wrote on a piece of like printer paper saying i don't even know what the sign said but it was like uh, oh i think it just said pedophile enabler or something like, like that joe would, paterno pedophile enabler he would stand by the statue but the statue was also apparently a very popular tourist thing like yeah. people who were like who love penn state would come you know and take pictures and, with this joe pa statue yeah and game days like it was an iconic thing yeah. like to take pics by and he would just stand there and he would not move and so all their pics just had this old man <laughs> with this thing and they would he would get into scuffles yeah and people would push him people would tear down his sign and he'd yeah. say it's okay i have another one i'm just gonna make another one <laughs> and, and they just really <laughs> got really frustrated and then like what was weird is at the at the moment he seemed like a lone guy like everyone thought he was crazy and like what are you doing and, yeah and then like over time he was uh he was vindicated and they yeah. ended up taking the statue down. Um, and yeah. What in the documentary, uh, someone in which he's uh, featured, it's not about him, but he's a minor part of it. Um, well, in the New York times that, uh, that was the New York times that came up with all that footage. They, they spotted the man initially. Yeah. Um, uh, as some tourists come to take a photograph with the Joe Pa statue and they say, you know, dude, we drove a hundred miles uh, to see this and he goes you drove 100 miles to see a pedophile enabler there you go i just i'm just laying it I'm out for you it out for you those are the facts <laughs> on the record fam <laughs> and it's great too because i mean imagine the people who are coming to this statue yeah. it's like the most like thick necked yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like oakley wearing yeah you know college football guys and this guy is like a, a a relatively small, gray-haired, like seventy-year-old yeah. math tutor. His name was Bernie something. Yeah, it was Bernie. And then he, yeah, he had a really iconic quote in one of them that, I, for whatever reason, has is escaped my head. But, and he's just sitting there with these guys, you know, with with cop builds, just like screaming at him. And he's like, I don't care. Yeah, he's, this is my free speech. So he's like, this guy's a pedophile enabler. <laughs> <laughs> Read up on it. It's all on the public record. It was so funny, and they were, and they were like. They're like, can you move? And he's like, you can go to the other side of the statue. But like, yeah. obviously you wouldn't go to the other side of the statue yeah. because like that the pick was ridiculous on the other side. And he's like, I'm sorry, but you can do that if you want. I'm standing um, here all day, every day with a sign that says pedophile enabler. I've been standing here. So, and then like this woman edges in and like she tries to kind of nudge him a little bit and he yeah. holds 
strong and I I think maybe a little bit nudges back and then yeah. and then and then the thick neck comes and and starts berating him and he's like no I'm not she's touching me I'm she, not touching her I was her. assaulted actually <laughs> I'm so surprised to not get beat up um, He's another kindred spirit with you I feel um, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, who's not inspired and, and want to feel like they see themselves in this man um, who's just like, I don't care. I don't care. He's like, I see the truth. I know what it is. and I'm not going to be dissuaded. I don't care what the whole world comes here and says, get out of this picture. This is morally wrong. And I'm, I'm not standing for it. Not a single other person has to believe it for it to be the case. That's a, that's the very nature of your personality. <laughs> uh you're you're a north star in that respect because i never have to worry about like oh is matt's judgment being influenced by literally anything else no it's all independent decision making yeah Uh, you know i mean obviously i can be wrong but if i'm wrong it's it's uh hopefully in most cases not because of uh social contagion uh or persuasion No, it's never a result of that and you're never right because of social contagion either uh, if you come to the right conclusion, it's strictly because you've come to that conclusion yourself. Uh, it's pretty impressive, honestly. I don't. Uh, I'm more open to listening, you know, to you know maybe the wisdom of uh, society and tradition. Um, well, I listen to people, but then I say, does this make sense or not? <laughs> that's basically my perspective. And I'm like, okay, that's a good point. It does not make sense. Do, I know you're you a very smart person, a uh, person who's telling me this, but that does not make sense to me. So it's not true. Do you remember at the, uh, at the, that concert we were at where a guy was like, oh yeah, we went to a, a Taylor Swift concert. We did go to with the family friends and uh, our best friends took us to a Taylor Swift concert and they we're standing there, you know, there were seats, but everybody was standing and uh, it was pouring rain incidentally. And so we're all wearing like large ponchos and uh, and this guy, I'm standing there and this guy approaches. He's like a middle aged man with his middle aged girlfriend or, you know, female companion. He was a real asshole. And he was like, this is my seat. And I'm like. I'm sorry. No one's really in their seat. They're no, they're they're standing. Everyone's There's, standing, I mean, um, yeah. and you know, people are just kind of. I mean, I can't go anywhere either. I don't think I'm in the, my properly assigned seat location. Yeah. What do you do? I, I, I realize the concert's already begun, so you just it's just blaring. Yeah, we were. You, you can't even hear. You couldn't really. talk really. And so, but this guy's come late, uh, which I'm sure was a great was a great you know gift to his uh to his uh, significant other yeah um, <laughs> he's like i'm above charlie xcx and um yeah and it's, it's like now trying to coordinate an entire row to move like everyone yeah. needs to shift one seat for like 30 seats yeah. down the road and by in the middle of a loud concert and he's he's initiating this process just by kind of like yelling at me and so i'm like i don't uh um you were the you were on the end of our our block. Yeah, of and I people, was like, and so he he you were the border. I I was like I don't um I don't really know what to to do. I uh I wish that I could help. I don't um I'm sorry. I don't uh and so like my like I just like started to cry. Like he was just like in you my didn't cry. I you I just was were perturbed, tearing up, and uh and then he just got in front of me. 
Yeah, he tried to kind of assert that that was his seat by being like, I will stand in front of you in front of the seat. Because remember, nobody's sitting down. Yeah. But Zoe's like, I, I, the, the plot of land in front of this seat belongs to me. And so yeah. I'm going to kind of squeeze into it, even though that's where you were standing. And then he began aggressively dancing. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah he, he started moshing, I believe, more or yeah. less, to try to uh, get across that he's going to basically physically assault you to assert this uh, piece of ground so at this time matt sees what's happening and um matt's never seen a property dispute he didn't like and matt's like okay so matt just kind of physically switches me with him with with matt so i i end up in matt's place and matt who is about a foot taller than this dude I've got, yeah, I've got a foot and at least 60 pounds yeah. on this guy. <laughs> at least 60 at pounds. At least. It's probably, uh, uh, the, the, the difference in builds was visible despite the poncho. And uh, then this guy is just kind of grinding on Matt. Uh, for a, f- yeah, for a couple minutes before he not realized. a minute it was about 15 seconds where he continued to do his aggressive dancing which was a technique to try to push the person out of the space but yeah then i had moved to where you are so he's just kind of like bumping up into me but he's his back is to my front uh, my front yeah it was definitely um, grinding like in the club i mean yeah i mean not not in the that specific move but it was yeah it was yeah it was very close dancing and so Matt just gently put his hands on the guy's waist. No, <laughs> <laughs> he f- eventually figured out that there was a different person behind him now, mm-hmm. and 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 that chilled him out rather quickly. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, that ended the dancing. <laughs> yeah, and, and we managed. Just imagine to that you're you're wildly dancing at a concert, and you turn around, and there's just silent Matt Brunig smiling serenely behind you, just the with a Buddha-like countenance. Just just <laughs> just uh just like a. An off uh, a rain man with an offensive lineman's build. Yeah, just a big old just looking at corn you, fed motherfucker <laughs> back there. <laughs> Being like, howdy, partner. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can work this out, don't you? Yeah, and he that was the conclusion he quickly came to. Oh yeah, it doesn't actually matter precisely where the where seats are yeah, as long I as there's enough the space to stand and I it's okay. The then don't worry about it. That's how we're gonna get to market socialism. <laughs> Matt's just gonna stand close behind every capital owner. Well, the, the my favorite part of this was he turned around at after he figured it out and he goes, <laughs> he goes. Look, man, I'm not trying to argue. <laughs> and I'm like, one, yes, you are trying to you argue. Are. But two, I'm the one who's supposed to say I'm not trying to argue. Like yeah. like it was done in assertive yeah. sense of like, look, I'm not arguing with you. This is the case. Yeah. And it's like, but you are not in a position to yeah. assert that you're not <laughs> arguing with me. Because one, I already have your spot. Yeah. And so you, I'm the one you have to convince. And so you've got to argue with me. I'm the one who can be like, I'm not arguing. I'm just going to stand here. I'm just going to stand But there. like, that's how I tried to play. It was really weird. And then also for the rest of the concert, he explained, he kept explaining the concert to his, uh, to his woman. To his woman. Yeah. It was like, oh, look, da, 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 da. And like, she just seemed really annoyed by yeah. the whole thing he's like look there's taylor swift oh look look drums uh, drums did you know with drums they hit the drums and makes this percussive taylor noise 20 um, something uh, pop icon uh <laughs> several albums out uh, singer songwriter can't imagine crossover sensation i would love to have interviewed her after that and been like what did you think of this event uh one which did not 
play well and then also with him just 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 talking to you the whole concert uh, apparently explaining to you what a concert is um how, uh, how did that go at, you, w- at what point were you like um texting him on your phone shut up i can't hear you <laughs> do you want <laughs> did, did you want to do a second date like uh, imagine like that's yeah. the uh <laughs> did you meet on um, one of those like uh, it's just lunch yeah bagels and coffee or whatever that yeah, one is yeah he had a he had a he had a, a the way of speaking indicated a professional degree of some kind. He's a lawyer or oh, something. Oh, I'm sure he was a lawyer or banker. <sighs> yeah. Um, so. I'm sorry, ma'am. <laughs> so they were really good seats as well, I felt. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. They were good seats. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know. But he came early. He came late, late. and left early. <laughs> He's like, I'm not here for the opening act. I'm yeah. not going to get hyped up. Not even the opening act. We're two, three songs yeah, into we like Taylor Swift act. before he shows up. Yeah. Maybe he just, he was like, I'm not interested in her new stuff. I don't want to hear the new shit. I want the classics. Well, she she didn't deliver that. That's for sure. It was um, a good at, at any point, but. Um, Felt it was good. I liked that. No, he just yeah. was, he's just an asshole. And he he's like, I don't really want to do this. I'm doing this for her. So we're going to show up late and leave early. Yeah. And, you and know. I'm going to be a dick about it the whole time. That's yeah. why I'm very bad at dealing with these situations. When people just like yell at me, I, I, I just kind of crumble. But Matt, uh. Well, it's a physical. It's a f- yeah. <laughs> at this point, unfortunately, as as bizarrely apish as it is, it's like yeah, this guy chilled out because he was like, "This is not going to end well." I should have, and it would have, because I'm not going to do anything. But like physically, I would, it I, looks I, yeah. like I might because you know of how I look. <laughs> I was just imagining the headlines. Uh, if this degenerated into a fight. I will defend myself. Oh, my God. Um, I was like, that is the <laughs> worst gonna, possible outcome. I'm not going to be like, you were really, really mean, so I'm going to punch you. I, I'm never going to do anything like that. explain Matt kicking um. a banker's ass at a Taylor Swift concert in Jersey. <laughs> That's all I need in my life. Luckily, it didn't come to that. No. A little grinding we on that. somehow Matt. came to an agreement without uh, having to formally recognize uh, f- the property r- r- rights of those involved. Um, so... That's Let all that the world be a lesson. Needs. Let that be a lesson. Let that be a lesson to you, podcast. <laughs> yeah, you listeners. got what you needed, buddy. You didn't need yeah. a specific plot to do it. Yeah. So all you needed was a was a little cuddle with Matt. <laughs> a little snuggle. Just a little rub. We all do sometimes. It happens. Uh you need this big boy in your life and uh and you feel better about the world. Thanks for tuning in. Uh next week the Brunigs take Finland and Norway. Yep, Norway and, uh, first, and then Finland. We'll be bringing you some uh, some podcast guests. We hope. Yeah, I think it'd be great if we can get some of the our, uh, some of our Nordic f- buddies on, our pals. or maybe some some man on the street, some Jesse Water type things. Yeah, we'll like, ask them. Who was the fifth king after Olaf? Yeah, and then be like dumbass. Is Utrecht real? <laughs> and just ask them weird. <laughs> no, I just want to ask them arcane just questions like, about yeah. n- n- Norwegian heads of state. Just go into bars where a bunch of twenty-somethings are obviously inebriated, <laughs> and be like, "Who was the seventh prime minister of Norway?" <laughs> Wrong, dumbass. Wrong. Boing, 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 boing. <laughs> Uh, so we might do some of that. Who knows? Yeah, we might have a heel. We'll turn. see how that plays we'll see in how Norway if they if they love. Uh, youngsters missing arcane uh, political trivia. Yeah. All right. Until then, sayonara. Have a good one. Be safe. Bye. Bye.